please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you are so clear, that you're a God who wants to communicate with us, that you speak clearly, and that you've spoken words to us about Jesus, words of salvation. We pray that we'd listen to your word this morning, that we'd take it to heart, and then we would use our words to build others up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I, uh, when I came to Australia 25 years ago, I had some real language difficulties. You see, I was born in New Zealand. <laughs> and over there, we speak a different, some would say more refined, <laughs> form of the English language. As a mild-mannered 10-year-old going into year five, the playground of Randwick Public School seemed like such a foreign and strange place because the language was so different. They spoke Australian. You see, instead of jandals on your feet, they talked about thongs. And their parents used strollers instead of pushchairs. And when they went for... Yeah, pushchair, what are you talking about? (laughs) When they went for a picnic, they took an esky instead of a chilli bin. The kids would always talk about swimming in the school pool. What a weird place. The things I was hearing, I didn't always understand. I felt like an outsider. And sometimes it, it would get me into problems, like, uh, like when I tried to catch the train. I don't know if anyone else rem- remembers this, but way back, when you went to catch the train, how hard it was to hear the announcements at the train stations. Like for the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000, they really worked hard to clean up the the kind of the language to make it more understandable for all the visitors. But before that, back in 1990 as a new migrant, I had no idea. I'd be waiting on the platform and the announcement would come. Was that my train? Did I miss it? I was oblivious to the normal announcements, let let alone any sort of emergency warning, language is powerful. Language is powerful. It's a way to help people to to communicate. And it can do those things if it's clear and easy to understand, if it's what we call intelligible. But language can also fail to help people if it's unclear, impossible to understand, unintelligible. Language can help or hinder but language can even be a dangerous thing when you don't understand it. Say, say I go to the doctor to get the results of a blood test. The doctor sits me down and says, Marty, the results of your test were positive. I'm likely to say, excellent, that's great news, doc, I'm out of here, when the doctor actually means I've tested positive for some strange disease. Positive is a bad thing, a truly dangerous misunderstanding. Whether we understand what's being said or not has major consequences, major consequences. And it was the same in the Corinthian church. The language they chose to use and whether they understood, that had major consequences. Consequences for whether the church would get stronger or weaker. And and major consequences also for non-Christians. For them, it was life and death consequences. 
before we, uh, before we go further into chapter 14, let's remind ourselves of what we've seen in 12 and 13. The Corinthians have a problem. They're fighting about spiritual gifts. Some people are holding up speaking in tongues as the best gift. It's the one that shows everyone else that you are super spiritual. Now, Paul wants to straighten out their thinking about spiritual gifts and how to use them. He wants the Corinthians to ask, how should we use our spiritual gifts in church? Paul laid out four foundations. Do you remember them? Foundation number one, true spirituality isn't about tongues or any other gift. It's about trusting Jesus as Lord. Second foundation, your gifts are for the common good. Third foundation, you are a body working together to help each other trust Jesus. And the fourth foundation, the most excellent way to do all this is love. And with those four foundations set, Paul is ready to answer the question, what should we do in church when we meet together? So let's have a look at chapter 14. Paul picks up right where he left off with love and gifts. He wants the Corinthians to always, always follow that most excellent way, love. But they're not supposed to give up on gifts. They're supposed to be keen for them. And Paul's got a particular gift in mind that he wants to promote. The Corinthians were all getting worked up about tongues, but Paul wants to commend prophecy to them. So have a look with me at verse 1 of chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Verse 1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So tongues and prophecy, that's, that's our topic this morning. It's a hot topic. It would be helpful, I think, to lay out some of what we know about tongues and prophecy from the New Testament before we go further. So, speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a form of speaking, mainly to God, in a language not known by other people. The tongue, the tongue speaker may or may not understand this language themselves. And this language, it might be another human language, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, or even possibly another language altogether, not known by any human, but given by God. At any rate, the tongue speaker is speaking a real functioning language, not just gibberish. There's, there's meaning buried in there. Now, this isn't to say that every claim uh, of the gift of tongues today is authentic. This is just what we know from the New Testament. Now, prophecy in the New Testament is speaking words that are audible and intelligible to others. And these words tell forth the deeds of God. They may speak about deeds in the future. There's a few examples of that in the New Testament. But more often, they speak of deeds that God's already done the things that he's done in Jesus. And Revelation chapter 19 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And it's clear in the New Testament that New Testament prophecy doesn't hold the same authority that the written words of Scripture do. And it doesn't, doesn't have the, th- the same authority as Old Testament prophecy either. New Testament prophecy can be weighed up by other people, listened to and judged and even in some circumstances, just ignored. And we'll see more about that next week. So, tongues and prophecy. But there's one key difference that Paul wants to highlight between tongues and prophecy in our passage. 
You see, speaking in tongues is a way to talk to God, but it's only between the speaker and God. The tongue speaker isn't speaking to anyone else. They might be strengthened by the experience, but no one else can join in. But when someone prophesies, they speak to the others around them in plain language. People can hear and understand prophecy. They can be strengthened by the words. Strengthened. That's the key difference. Strengthening. It's going to come up again and again. The Corinthians should strive to strengthen each other, to help each other grow in knowledge and love for Jesus, to edify each other. That's the word the passage uses. Paul has no problem with tongues as far as it goes. It's fine for the tongue speaker. But he wants prophecy more because edification is the goal. Let's keep reading. Verses 2 to 5. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. And that's really Paul's answer right there. His answer to the big question, what should we do in church? The answer is, do things that edify edify but to drive the point home Paul highlights the importance of intelligibility to build others up they need to be able to understand you and he gives some musical examples to demonstrate if an instrument a musical instrument plays a whole jumble of notes in random order there's no way you'll be able to tell the tune The music then fails to give pleasure and the point of the music is lost. The point is lost. Likewise, if a a war trumpet, a, a trumpet that's used to call people to battle, if it's muffled or weak, the soldiers won't hear it, they'll be confused, they'll be unready for battle and that could mean death. The point of the trumpet is lost. It's the same for the Corinthians with their words. If they aren't intelligible... The point of their words is lost. The words don't build anyone up. Let's keep reading from verses 6 to 9. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Paul says there's lots of languages out there, but they do nothing for me if I don't understand them. You need to understand language. Uh, my wife, uh, Kat, and I experienced this on our honeymoon. We uh, had the great privilege of going to the Cook Islands for 10 days. And like many places in the Pacific, Christianity has had a huge impact there. 
Nearly everyone on the main island of Rarotonga is in church on Sunday. Now you combine that with a long culture of communal singing and a love for harmony and you get some pretty amazing music in churches on Sunday. So like lots of other tourists, my wife and I thought we'd go along and hear for ourselves. So we went to church to hear this music. But because we're Christians, we weren't just going along to listen to some cultural phenomenon. We wanted to go to church to join in with our brothers and sisters in praising God. So we go along and it certainly sounds incredible. You know, tingles up the spine, sort of incredible. But still, there's something missing. You see, everything that they sang, everything that they spoke was in Cook Islands Maori. We couldn't understand the language that they were singing. As beautiful as it was, the main point of the music was lost on us. We weren't encouraged like we would have been if we were fluent in Maori. It was unintelligible to us. The point was lost and we remained foreigners, really. A language can't help you if you don't understand it. Keep reading what Paul says from verse 10. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp, grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Do you see there? Paul says, be eager for gifts that build That's the point. And that means gifts that are intelligible. So for tongues, if you're going to use them in church, you need to interpret for the good of others. Paul says there's two ways you can go with tongues. You can pray just with your spirit, that is speaking just to God, using whatever tongue God has given you. Or you can pray with your spirit and your mind that is with your mind engaged as well with your mind turned on doing the work of forming words and translating and speaking them out one way prevents others joining in the other can build the church which you think is better spirit and mind is the way to go keep reading from verses 13 through 17 verse 13 For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say, Amen? to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Paul's not against tongues. He's not against tongues. He himself does it lots. But his priority is building. See there in verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, But in the church, 
I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's pretty clear, isn't it? In terms of building up other Christians, tongues just can't compete with prophecy. But not only do these gifts affect Christians in different ways, they can have vastly different impacts on non-Christians as well. And Paul makes this point with a quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Back in Isaiah's day in the Old Testament, God said to rebellious Israel, he said to them, look, I've had it with you people. You've ignored my words long enough. I'm going to send a foreign nation to invade you and conquer you. The Assyrians are coming. So one day you'll be, you'll be talking with your neighbours in good old Hebrew and then the next morning you'll hear Assyrian outside your window because the Assyrians have come to take over your towns. And when you hear that sound, when you hear those foreign lips, you'll know my judgment has come. But even then you won't turn back and listen to me. That's what Isaiah says. Those strange tongues were were a sign of judgment for Israel, but not a sign that they responded positively to. The words were unintelligible to Israel and their hearts remained hard. In the same way, tongues are unintelligible to non-Christians. All a non-Christian could ever understand from witnessing tongues is that they're not part of whatever's going on here in God's people. They're, they're cut off from that. And of course, we know that anyone outside God's people, the Bible tells us, they're in danger of God's judgment. Tongues, therefore, are a warning sign for non-Christians. They're a sign, but a sign of judgment. But prophecy, by contrast, now that, that is for the building up of God's people. Prophecy isn't for non-Christians, it's for Christians. It's not for non-Christians until they become Christian. Let's have a look at Paul's argument in verses 20 to 22. Verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it's written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. Then Paul poses a hypothetical situation. He demonstrates the different impact for non-Christians between tongues and prophecy. Say um, one Sunday here at Chatswood, everyone was speaking in tongues. All of you were speaking in tongues all at once. A great racket. Now, if a non-Christian walked through those doors at the back into this noisy room, what would they think? Well, for a start, they wouldn't understand what is being said. They'd have no idea. And all they could conclude would be that these Christians are nuts. Have a look at verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? 
the result is they go away not hearing about Jesus and therefore with no salvation. But on the other hand, if everyone in that church was prophesying in plain language, well, the non-Christian could at least understand the words and these words, if it's true prophecy, will be speaking about who God is and what he's done in Jesus. And words like that, well, those words, they can save, can't they? If someone hears and understands those words, they'll understand that they're a great sinner. They'll understand that Jesus is the great saviour that they need. What better effect could there be? Their words are powerful. Salvation or judgment. This is what Paul describes in verses 24 and 25. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So prophecy is not only better than tongues for Christians, but better for non-Christians too. And that's our passage for today. What have we seen? Paul says, pursue love and don't stop exercising those spiritual gifts. But in terms of building the church, prophecy is better than tongues. Unless you translate tongues, no one else can understand. If they can't understand, they can't be strengthened. So to build up, you need to be intelligible. And building up is the goal. Friends, it's important to be intelligible, isn't it? Important to be able to be understood. It's a way to help people. On the flip side, it can even be dangerous to be unintelligible. Here in this passage, for a non-Christian looking on, if we are unintelligible, salvation is on the line. It's not a matter of missing the train or getting confused at the doctors. It's about the church growing more like Jesus or not. It's about non-Christians hearing words of salvation or missing out. So what should we do with this? How should we apply it? Well, for a start, basically, we should prefer prophecy over untranslated tongues, if we've got a choice. So if, if speaking in tongues is a part of your Christian experience and you can't translate it, well, feel free to enjoy it at home, on your own. But as we meet as a church together, well, that's, that's an opportunity for what Paul describes as prophecy, to testify about Jesus. So if there's a good opportunity for you to speak up about what God has done, don't be afraid, go for it. We're going to think more about prophecy and how to do it next week. This was the Corinthians fight, wasn't it? It was, it was prophecy versus tongues. Now, I haven't heard that fight here at Chatswood over morning tea lately. There aren't people you know, saying, prophecy, no tongues, and throwing biscuits at each other about it. But there are bigger principles here, aren't there, that we can apply, bigger principles that I want us to hold on to. I think there are two big principles that we should think about. Two things. We should be intelligible and we should be passionate about building. Firstly, intelligible 
we should use our words to help people. We want people to understand what is going on. We want people to understand what is being said. I think this is a passage for the people on the sound desk and the great work that they do. And it shows us the importance of being able to hear what we're doing together. If people can't hear what's going on church, on in church, it won't build them up. I think there are lots of ways that we, we try to be intelligible here together. Um, I think when we do the Lord's Supper together, Jeff and Warren, when they're speaking about it, they do a great job of trying to make it clear what's going on. It's a ceremony and there's lots of room for misunderstanding, but their clear words can clear away misunderstanding. Their words can um, help us to focus and remember Jesus as we do the Lord's Supper together. And their words can, can gently warn people that it's not appropriate for everyone to join in in this ceremony. Their clear words can build us up in the right way at that moment, can't they? Lots of other examples. Uh, the people who look after the Easy English program that we have here, who teach the Bible to um, people who are learning English, they work very hard to be intelligible because their words are very important at that point. They can clearly speak of Jesus to people. Uh, we hand out sermon scripts here. Some of you are reading them right now. That's us trying to be intelligible to you. But I think we need to keep on thinking about how to do it. We all need to have this in our minds all the time. We ought to keep thinking. Uh, we ought to be speaking to, to each other and, and maybe even up the front, every time we do that, every time we speak, we should think, will my words be understood? Is what I'm saying going to edify this person? Words need to be intelligible. Words about Jesus are powerful. And secondly, the second big idea I think we should keep in our minds is we should be passionate about building, building up the church. We should be looking for any way that we can encourage each other. We need to be zealous about building, zealous about building. Maybe uh, one way to remind ourselves to do this, maybe every time you walk past our church buildings, the physical buildings, and you see the crumbling walls and the hall that's about to fall down, every time you, your mind wanders and you look at that huge crack in the wall right there, think this thought. How will I help build the people, not just walls? How will I build the people inside, not just, not just the building? Friends, it's too easy to subconsciously think that church is, well, it's first about me and then other people. It's, it's too easy to come each week thinking, I wonder what it's going to be like this week. I wonder who I'll see, maybe my friends. I wonder if it'll be enjoyable. I wonder if it... You know, I'll feel refreshed when I go away. That, that, that thinking can easily slide into just thinking it's me first, then others. The Bible here in Corinthians, doesn't it, it doesn't let us get away with thinking like that. It keeps reminding us it's not about you, it's about other people. That's how you follow the way of love. You look to others. So friends, come each Sunday thinking there's building work to be done here. Each week, get along to Bible study. It's another opportunity to build others. And as you have conversations together, think, what are my words doing? 
Will they edify this person? Clear language means the difference between weak and strong. Clear language can even mean the difference between judgment and salvation. So let's take that passion for building and let's, let's have it shape the way we speak. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of language. We thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you offer us salvation through your words of Jesus. Father, we pray that we would be careful in the way that we speak, that the way we speak would be driven by a passion to build up the church. Father, we pray that we'd have clear understanding about the the gifts of uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy, but that our passion for building wouldn't just end there, that it would go through all of life. Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to... um, focus on others, and also look to Jesus as we wait for him to return. And we pray this in his name. Amen.